Amen. We're so grateful to the worship team for leading us to the throne of God. And I want to lead us in a meditation this morning as the Lord Jesus invites us to his table to be with him a special way, in a special sense with our Lord Jesus. And what I want to do to prepare our hearts for the table this morning is to meditate on a verse that Luke wrote, recorded of what our Lord Jesus said. It's in your Bibles, Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, and verse 32. And by the time we get done, I want this word to be so engraved in your heart. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Read it with me. Say it with me. It's up on the screen. Fear not. Come on now. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, the Lord Jesus, when he starts off this verse by saying, fear not, he knows, and when you look at the context, back in verse 22, he's just talking to his disciples. Just, just the twelve are with him. And he knows that they struggle with fear. The Lord Jesus knows, if we're honest, we struggle with fear. In fact, when you look at the wider context, the bigger context of Luke chapter 12, he's been, the Lord Jesus has been talking about different kinds of fears right from the beginning of the chapter. If you have your Bible there, uh, Luke chapter 11 ends with a great conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. In fact, by the end of uh, chapter 11, when Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely. And there's this great crowd at the beginning of chapter 12, a crowd of thousands, many thousands gathered. They were trampling on one another. And then Jesus begins to speak first to his disciples. And he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And he's talking about hypocrisy. They act one way on the outside, but there's something real different on the inside. And he knows great conflict now is coming at him. And he says to his disciples, here's the first fear that he addresses. He says in verse 4, I tell you friends. See, he calls them friends. I tell you friends, do not fear those who can kill the body. And after that, no more can they do. So, you see, he addresses our fear of death, particularly by persecution. Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that, they can do no more. But fear him who can throw the soul into hell. In verse 11, he brings up another fear. He says because of this conflict that they're going to try and put me to death, they'll try and put you to death, and they're going to drag you, look at verse 11, Luke 12, 11, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious, don't be afraid how or what you are to answer for, or what you are to say, 
Why? For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So you see, the Lord Jesus tells us one of our fears isn't just of death, and particularly death by persecution, but being publicly ashamed. And sometimes it's just that we're afraid that we won't know what to say. That we'll say the wrong thing. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. The Lord will help you with what to say. Then he draws his disciples apart, verse 22, and he says to his disciples, he said, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. Don't be anxious, don't be fearful of your life, what you will eat, or about your body, or what you shall put on. So he knows that we have this tendency to fear over the necessities of life, bills getting paid, food on the table, making the car payment, making the house payment. He says, don't be afraid. Your father knows you have need of these things. And then you come to verse 32, this fourth, don't be afraid. Now what is this fear that he is addressing? There is another thing that we prone to fear, and it goes right to the heart of God. It's perhaps the deepest fear, and I believe it's the fear that's underneath or behind all those other fears, fears of death, fear of public shame, fear that our necessities will not be met, and that is in this verse, Jesus is addressing the fear that God is not really for us. You know how we go, we, we all say as a church, God is good. He's good all the time. You know, it's like, pump me up, baby. Pump me up. Folks, there are times when it, it's not just hard to say that, it's hard to believe that. When our little son David, he was six. You've heard me tell our stories that from his first pains to his death was 24, 24 hours. You've heard me share my pleading with the Lord to spare his life. And God said, no. You think I was running around, jumping around, going, God is good. He's good all the time. See, the hard things of life the enemy uses to try and make us doubt that God is good and he is for us all the time. That's what Jesus is getting. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You see, what I'm saying is to us is Jesus invites us to his table is that sometimes we believe in our head that God is good, but in our hearts, secretly, quietly, we doubt it. It was really a struggle for me for about four or five years. It was always feeling like waiting for the other shoe to drop. You see, the enemy uses hard circumstances of our lives to try and destroy our faith and our trust in the Lord. 
Maybe for you this morning, it was because you were abused or sexually molested as a child. I mean, that is huge to get over, to feel like even when I was a small child, where is God in the midst of all that? It might be chronic pain, failing health. My mom had crippling arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis. Every day was a day in pain. You can start to begin the doubt in failing health, the goodness of God. For others, it might be the heartbreak of a wayward child, an empty wallet, unemployment, creditors at the door, the wilderness of lonely wedlock, the constant conflict or division among church friends. All of that can cause us to wonder about the heart of God. And this morning, Jesus is at pains to take that feeling away about God. Every little piece of this verse Remember, Jesus, every word is inspired by the Holy Spirit to show us that God is really for you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let me show you the great goodness of God this morning as we go to the table. First, let's start with the words, good pleasure. Uh, that is actually a verb in the Greek, to be a pleasure, to be pleased by. You could translate it, it pleased God, or God chose it gladly. You see, in other words, God is not acting in a generous way to cloak some other motive. Like, well, I got to be good for him a little while, but what I really want to do is judge him. You know, when hard things keep falling on you in your life, you wonder, is this the judgment of God on me for something? And the Lord's meaning is inescapable. Good pleasure means he's acting in freedom. He's not under constraint. At this very point, when he gives his flock the kingdom, he's acting out of his deepest delight. Can you think of anything delightful? Some of you look pretty sober. I know the introduction was heavy. But can you think of something of your deepest delight that causes you to smile? Give me a little smile here now. Your deepest delight. This is God's deepest delight. It means it's God's joy, his desire, his want, his wish, his hope, his pleasure, his gladness, his delight is to give. You feel that? It is God's pure pleasure to give us the kingdom. He's excited about it. We sang some really great worship songs, didn't we, this morning. May they go deep into our heart to feel the Father's good pleasure towards you. That's the kind of God that he is. Not begrudging, not stingy. He is his great pleasure. Uh, notice, secondly, it's your father. Fear not, little, little flock, for it is your father's 
good pleasure. He doesn't say it's your employer's good pleasure to give you a salary. Did he say that? No. Does he say it's your slave master good pleasure to give you your lodging? He doesn't even say it's your king's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You see, Jesus chooses every word very carefully to help us get rid of this fear that God really isn't for us. He isn't really good all the time towards us. He calls him your father. Now, it is true, some of us have had fathers that were not patterned after their life of the their life after the heavenly father. I, I mean, my dad wasn't in that camp. We, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I was a kid that wore thick glasses, very nerdy in the fourth grade. My dad bought me a, a football, and we went out in the yard. He said, okay, put your hands up, threw the football. He was a steel worker. Went in between my hands, cracked my glasses, and he said, you stupid blank, and went back in the house and sat down. Do you think I had good feelings about God as father in those days? I did not. And so the scripture goes to great lengths to show us how God the Father is very, very different. Just one. If God is our Father and He's a king, then we are, to stay in this text, we are heirs of His kingdom. There's something natural about receiving it. It's our inheritance. Did I wake anybody up with that word inheritance? Inheritance. Listen to Matthew 25, 34. It says that in the last day, King Jesus will say, Come, O blessed of my Father. Are you blessed this morning? This is Matthew 25, 34. Come, O blessed of my Father, hear the word, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I, I, we sing some of that music up there, and we get stirred up, we're going, glory, amen. Hey, let me read this one again and get, to ready, get ready to say glory. Come, O blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What do you say? Glory. God. That's how this dad is different. This God our Father is different from every earthly father. He has prepared a kingdom for his children. It is theirs by right of inheritance. And God does not begrudge his children coming into their inheritance. What does our verse say? It is his good pleasure, smile, joy, to give you the kingdom. Amen? Let's look at the word give. Let's consider the word give. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus doesn't say, sell you the kingdom. He doesn't say, trade you for the kingdom. He doesn't say, earn the kingdom. It says it is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It can't be bought, bartered, or earned in any way. It's the easiest way of all. Luke 18, 17. Luke 18, 17. The gospel way, truly I say to you, 
Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child shall not enter it. When, I, when my grandkids were here from Africa for Christmas and we had the gifts, somebody said, did you have a good time with your kids? I said, oh, we had a good time. We had a good time. And, and there were too many presents underneath that tree. And, and I even got some cool things too. Got a lot of socks. I did. I got a lot of socks. And I got cologne too. Okay, but when we had the gifts, you know, like that, did I hold it out and then pull it back? Hold it out and put it back? No, you got to go out and help me carry in firewood and then I'll give you the gift. Is that it? Yeah. How did they receive it like a little child? <laughs> We're not that far away from Christmas, do you remember? Just receive it. You see, what is Jesus' point in saying that? God is not stingy. He's not a Scrooge. He's not miserly. He's not tight-fisted. He is liberal and generous, ungrudging and bountiful. It is his good pleasure, say it with me, to give you the kingdom. Give it. You don't earn it. Don't trade. Don't bargain. Now, coming down closer to the table, I, I actually saved a couple words for the last. Flock. Flock. What's that say to us? You're not little flocks. You see how Jesus is piling on the metaphors? Uh, God is our Father. And since He gives us a kingdom, He must be a king. And since we are His flock, He must be a shepherd. And shepherd says wonderful things. You see how Jesus is at pains to choose every single little word. Flock, that means Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. You see, because that psalm says, it's the great good shepherd this morning. He provides, he protects, he guides. And that means, particularly, just like we sang, that he is the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep and not begrudgingly under constraint emphatically no he said no one takes my life from me I hear your, don't see me close your eyes hear the word of the Lord Jesus I lay it down of my own accord that he did it for us we're his flock. He's our good shepherd. The shepherd of our souls. Just like the father did not begrudge the gift of the son. For God so loved the world. He gave. And the son did not begrudge giving his life for you and for me. Willingly. Of his good pleasure. And then there's the word little. Now, folks, think of this. There's 12 burly disciples. I mean, some of them were fishermen, some zealots. I mean, they're burly. What sort of guy gets away with a rough group of men saying, 
little flock. I mean, I talk that way to my family. But can, can you see the almost absurdity of this? Fear not. Little flock. He's looking at these 12 guys. Uh, what does Jesus mean by using the word little? Well, the first thing, it's like I use it with my family. It, it, it's a term of affection and care. A term of affection and care. That, he is fond and he cares about these 12 men. Uh, there was one time, the fall of the government, we worked in Chad, Africa, and there was the fall of the government and troops were, we lived at that time in the second largest city in Chad, and and troops were trying to get out, the new troops trying to get in. There was a massive firefight right outside the wall of our house. I mean, 30 guys making a last stand about 8.30 at night. And we had to get in the center uh, hallway. I mean, it's deafening automatic fire, uh, firepower going on all around us. And, you know, my two boys, Brian and David, uh, they think it was pretty exciting. We got in the center hallway, and, and my daughters were, were crying. You know, they were really scared. And I said, fear not, little flock. What's that mean? It means, I as your dad, I'm going to do everything in my power to take care of you. See, it's affection. It's tender. And Jesus is being very, very tender here, little flock. But also it implies, this is very important, not just affection and care. It also implies that God's goodness to us is not dependent on our greatness. Folks, what are we? We are a, you want to say it with me? A little flock. We are a little flock. We are little in size, was little in size, we're little in strength, we're little in wisdom. Remember, he's talking to those 12, we're little in size, little in strength, little in wisdom, little in righteousness. Remember all the fighting, infighting among that group of men, who's the greatest? Little in love at that time, little in love. If God's goodness to us is dependent upon our greatness, we're in deep trouble. Because I'm not great. You're not great. We're not great. God is great. And he is good. Fear not, little flock. Fear not. Say it with me. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Folks, there's only one, one word left. The word kingdom. And, and, and maybe if there's still this little foothold in your heart after everything that you've lived through that you really wonder about the goodness of God and that God isn't 100% wholeheartedly, absolutely, completely for you and for this church. You might say, okay, God... God is our Father. He's not a slave master. He enjoys giving it to us, not selling it to us. He treats us the way a good shepherd treats his flock. He has affection and pity towards us in our littleness. But I mean, what after all? 
does he promise to give us? Well, let me make clear what he doesn't promise to give us, okay? He doesn't promise to give us money. In fact, Jesus says, I'll just stay in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 18, 25. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He doesn't promise to give us money. He doesn't promise to give us popularity or fame or admiration. We really like that stuff, especially in a church setting. We like to be admired and appreciated like to be popular, like to be well-liked. But, in fact, Jesus says in Luke 6.22, that's not any of his promise, because he says, Blessed are you when men hate you, and they exclude you, and they revile you, and cast out your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. So, he's not promising money. He's not promising popularity and fame. He's not promising health. We're wasting away. He's not promising safety and security in this life because he said in Luke 21, 16, you will be delivered up even by parents, brothers, kinsmen, and friends, and some of you they will put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Well, what exactly is he promising then? What does he promise to give to his little flock to prove once and for all it is his good pleasure to bless us in his goodness and to give big? This is what he promises to give us. The kingdom. What does that mean? In the kingdom, we will inherit the earth and the world. Matthew 5 5. In the kingdom, we will judge angels. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In the kingdom, we will reign on earth with Christ and possess power over the nations. 2 Timothy 2 and Revelation 2. In the kingdom, we will eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Remember my Christmas message? The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. The little child shall play over the hole of the cobra and put his hand in the adder's den. Micah 4.3, we will beat our swords into pruning hooks and nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Amos 5.24, justice shall roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And our bodies will be made new. And God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death shall be no more. And neither shall there be crying, pain, guilt, and what word is in there? Or fear anymore in the kingdom. And we will sit on the very throne of the King of Kings. And yet, all of that is secondary. All of that's secondary. Why? 
because of the reason that we have come together this morning, to be with Jesus. That's it. Because the main reward of the kingdom, the reward above all others, that we will see Jesus in all of His glory, the glory of God, and we will enjoy Him face to face. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, and to transition to the table, who can describe what that will be like when it comes to pass what Jesus said at the Last Supper to his disciples, that little flock? Here's what he said. As my Father has appointed a kingdom for me, so I appoint for you that you may eat and drink at my table, in my kingdom. Even so, come, come now, come to the table. Let's pray together as we prepare our hearts. Lord Jesus, we love you. You've, we thank you for the worship team that helped us lift not just our voices, our hearts to you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are alive that your Holy Spirit is within us. I pray that these, this feeble meditation on your wonderful words, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We thank you with all of our hearts. Heal hurting hearts. Heal divisions among brothers and sisters, hurts and families, as we come to this table and bow low before you, help us to put our eyes upon you and keep them there because of your wonderful and great sacrifice and because you are here among us this morning, I pray in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, amen, amen.